0: Kane and Sienna move through the events of the original trilogy on opposite sides of the war, but bound to each other through love and loyalty. In this episode, we revisit this essential Star Wars book four years after it first debuted.
1: Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin.
0: Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are taking it back, going back to our Star Wars canon book roots, and talking about Lost Stars. And this episode is one of those episodes where I'm like, why have we not, like it's 2019 and we're just now talking about Lost Stars in depth on the podcast.
1: (laughs) I know. And to be clear, we've read it. We read it when it came out. Yes. But it's one of Caitlin and I's top Star Wars books, if not the top Star Wars book. Mm-hmm. And it's been—it's crazy how we haven't talked about it. It's really kind of nuts.
0: It really is. Um, we're going to get into kind of our first impressions of it in part one, but yeah, I mean, this was this was the big kickoff. We're like. Get ready for the sequel trilogy. (laughs) It's coming. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And this was the first Star Wars book that Claudia Gray had written. And now we've got Master and Apprentice and Bloodline and Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And all of those are all some of our favorite Star Wars books. So... Like, it's actually been really interesting. We'll get into this, but coming back to Lost Stars four years after it came out and being like in the middle of the sequel trilogy, it was a really fascinating read and kind of remembering what we knew when we first read Lost Stars versus what we actually know now.
1: Yeah, I think that with Star Wars new releases, you often read them. At least this is what I do. I read them really fast, combing through for any new information that would lead me to like clues for the future. And sometimes I don't think that's the best strategy at all because they're usually really well written books and they include my favorite characters and they're brilliant stories and things like that. And I think that With the first time I read Lost Stars, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but I do remember that last, the last part of Lost Stars, me being like, "What is Jakku? Like, what does it all mean?" You know. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just funny to return to the story knowing, obviously, we don't know everything, and we just can't know everything. But like, and I don't know, thinking about like, oh yeah, Jakku, like we are very familiar with that now, (laughs) and all these things, or even thinking about where it fits in with The Mandalorian, which is on everyone's brain right now, um, if The Mandalorian picks up basically right after Return of the Jedi, you know, and so does Lost Stars. That, how, that's where it ends. So it's just really interesting right now where we are in the Star Wars kind of new cycle and new releases to return at this point to Lost Stars, the f- first new canon novel um, along with Aftermath.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've actually heard Claudia Gray speak a couple of times at Dragon Con. She comes a lot along with a lot of other Star Wars authors, which is really great. But Charlotte actually got to interview Claudia back on Podcast 66, which was, was that two years ago that you did that? Yeah, it was definitely one of the first times I ever interviewed. That was with,
1: so the guys at Podcast 66 now it used to, formerly Podcast 66, now they're the guys at the Forcecast. Um, were so generous and let me kind of sit in on their interview and discussion with Claudia Gray. And it was so great. It was mm-hmm. just so fun. Yeah. And I, I was, I had such a fangirl moment during the whole thing. I was like, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> believe I'm doing this. Can't believe we're
0: talking. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan and Daniel are so great. And thankfully, we've gotten to hang out with them a couple of times in person, both at Dragon Con and at Star Wars Celebration. And they're a lot of fun. So it was really great of them to invite you on to Podcast sixty six when they were doing that and talked to Claudia, but yeah,
1: I can't remember if that was promoting Bloodline or promoting. I think it Leia was, Princess of alderaan
0: I think it was Leia Princess of alderaan because I think Bloodline so came out before we did the podcast.
1: I guess, I guess, I think yeah. so. Because
0: remember, we were reading it. We were reading Bloodline like at the pool. Yeah, I was just remembering that. That
1: was definitely twenty sixteen. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. Yeah, Yeah,
0: so I think it had, yeah, because Leia Prince of came out in 2017, I believe, so the year we started the podcast.
1: Basically, Claudia's written a Star Wars novel almost every year since Lost Stars, and I just, I kind of hope she never stops, because I really think she nails the characters. (laughs) She's flawless, perfect, love her books, they remain my favorite reads, really. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, top tier, (sighs) top tier. Yeah. (laughs) But what was interesting is at this last uh, Dragon Con, so a couple weeks ago, over a Labor Day weekend, Claudia was on a panel with, um, with E.K. Johnston. It was just her and E.K. Johnston, right? And yeah. they did a Q&A. And of course, one of the questions was, you know, talk to us about Lost Stars. Is there going to be a sequel? What's the deal? <laughs> and mm-hmm. what was great is that kind of like the further out you get, obviously, from projects like that, the more you can talk about them. And so she kind of told us a little bit about that development process, because I think everyone's question about Lucas Feldman's story group is always like, well, do they micromanage you, basically, as far as what you're doing with the stories and things like that? And she basically said, no, <laughs> that they would tell you if you wrote something that would, of course, be contradicted in a future story that you didn't know about. But she said they basically gave her the premise of like, there are two childhood friends with a romantic relationship on opposite sides of the war. And that was the story she they wanted. And then she got to you know, create Thane and Santa and the world that they lived in and the conflict and the journey that they went through. And I don't know, I just think it's always fun to kind of peek behind the curtain, especially with books like this that are going to be, you know, just going to have so many details (laughs) that people are going to pay a lot of attention to as we're still waiting for new movies and new content and new stories.
1: Right. And I think that it's really interesting if you put it at the, in the grand scheme of things that Lucasfilm really wanted to start off this era of new canon journey to the Force Awakens, the beginning of the sequel trilogy with a book about what happens right after Return of the Jedi with Aftermath and a uh, Starcross love story. Um, and they were very explicit that they wanted a Starcross love story. And I think it's. So fascinating. And it really reminds me of like, you can tell that when they came out with Queen Shadow and Master and Apprentice and then had basically a whole celebration of the Phantom Menace at Celebration, that Spring was really all about celebrating the 20 years of the Phantom Menace and that lucasfilm and everything around that were willing to go to great lengths to make a whole campaign out of it and i mentioned that just because i think that it is super purposeful that a star crossed love story started off the sequel trilogy era um along with basically explaining what happened after and getting reacquainted with the characters in aftermath
0: Mm-hmm. yeah Okay, so I feel like we're already starting to get ahead of ourselves (laughs) talking (laughs) about this book. So I think we should get started. So part one is going to be our first impressions. Part two is themes. And then part three is quotes, where Charlotte and I will trade quotes back and forth, inspired by Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And we will then discuss those quotes that we selected for each other.
1: Yes. So without further
0: ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Hello, and welcome to part one, where we're talking all about our first impressions, kind of our first impressions and our second impressions of Lost Stars, which is kind of fun, um, because this was something that we read in 2015 and, of course, have revisited uh, very recently in preparation for this podcast. Now, I know that I didn't, I haven't reread Lost Stars fully since it first came out, but it was definitely a book that I would like go back to and like reread my my favorite scenes. I reread the ending of Lost Stars a couple of times because I think the ending is so great. But this was the first time that I had like reread it in its entirety since it came out. And that was really fun. Have you reread it since it first came out? No.
1: Okay. So the interesting thing with me is that Okay, I have to back up because I think this is kind of like my whole story about Lost Stars. Is I immediately bought Aftermath when it was announced that it was coming out. But when Aftermath came out, I just didn't really read it. And I saw all this talk online. It was kind of before we were into Star Wars Twitter or anything like that um about how good lost stars was and like that this book kind of slid under the radar so back in 2015 it was like okay you got to read aftermath this is going to be the big book that you know explains everything that you need to know before watching the force awakens and that was like very much how the marketing was remember that Galen? oh yeah and um but this one like totally slid under the radar and then it really had this momentum behind it that was definitely like You have to read this one. This one actually is better than Aftermath. (laughs) And it is, it spans the entire original trilogy. Like, it's so great. You got to read it. And so I was like, okay, awesome, young adult. Like, I'm going to do it. But I bought a Kindle version because I wasn't, I don't know, I just feel like I wasn't committed or I was embarrassed, which is so stupid now, to read a young adult book a young adult Star Wars book, really. Mm-hmm. And it was right after I graduated college. And I i don't know, I just didn't know what to think about the book or anything. And then I read it and I read it in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember texting you and being like, Caitlin, you have to read this. Go out right now. Have you gotten it? And it was like, it was one of those things where it was like, I would text you like every hour being like, so have you started it? When, <laughs> when is it? Have you done it? Have you read it? Like, oh my gosh, it's so good. We have to talk <laughs> about it. And and um so that was really my first experience with Lost Stars and then you read it and then we were able to talk about it together cuz I was like kind of sitting there alone being like oh my god this book was so good everything i ever wanted this is like fan fiction but like the best kind of fan fiction and this is the best you know
0: <laughs> Yeah no i know i know <laughs> Yeah it is so interesting so Lost Stars was a part of the journey to Star Wars the Force Awakens which of course now we're on our third journey series. We have Journey to the Rise of Skywalker. And Aftermath really was like the heavy hitter that was coming out. But you and I still haven't read Aftermath. (laughs)
1: I've read all the Ben Solo, Leia, Han Solo parts. It doesn't count. It doesn't (laughs) count.
0: (laughs) Um, And because I remember people being like, there were a lot of mixed reactions to Aftermath when it first came out, but I don't remember people talking about Lost Stars and then like suddenly everyone was talking about Lost Stars and it was like, whoa. And me in typical fashion, I remember thinking about Lost Stars as like, oh, there are no Skywalkers. (laughs) Like, forever (laughs) my mood of, like, there are no Skywalkers, why do I care? (laughs) And then me being pleasantly surprised by things that don't include Skywalkers, re. Resistance and Lost Stars. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, it was just... Because at that point, I hadn't read any Star Wars books.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. This was really like your gateway drive. it
0: was. and like what a time. even
1: though I had asked you a million times to we, read oh my God, this novel you are
0: season. not we're not allowed to be bitter about that anymore because I read it. <laughs> I did an episode on it. It was a good episode. Other people read along chill.
1: We're just you know we're we're just reminiscent on the past here, We're just though.
0: you need to, you know what you need to do. You need to let go. That's not a good part of the past to hang on to. (laughs) So so this was the first Star Wars book I'd read. I don't even think I had started listening to the audiobook of Attack of the Clones quite yet. I got Mm through about half of the audiobook of Attack of the Clones. Um, But so this really was the first thing that I read. And man, like way to read some of the best first, I think. Um, Seriously. It's definitely set my standards very high for Star Wars books, which a lot of Star Wars books I really like. Um, So it's not an issue. (laughs) But I remember just like being pulled into this story so much. And it was interesting because in preparation for this episode, I watched our friend, um, Shannon McCarter. She has a book review YouTube channel, which is really good. She reviews a ton of books and a lot of Star Wars books too. And she reviewed this book back in 2017. So a couple years after it had come out, but it was um, when she had read it, it was in 2017. And she said this thing that I thought was really interesting it was a non-spoiler review so she didn't like it wasn't like her diving into books which she does do but she was like you know cuz Shannon was someone who became a fan with the sequel trilogy and she was like this book really felt like this nice way to like get more into fandom because it didn't require you to like know all these things about like clone wars or you know like super detailed about the original trilogy or even the prequel trilogy because at that point that wasn't where her fandom was or where other people's fandoms are but most people know like the big story beats of the original trilogy and so it was easy to fall along with that book with this book but it didn't require you to have this like really deep knowledge of the skywalkers or like that whole mythology because our characters in our book don't really care about those things <laughs> because they don't know those people yeah. and don't interact with them and she was like it was a really great like I think she said this was her first Star Wars book she read. I I could be wrong, I don't remember it, but she was like, oh, she had said she had tried to like do bloodline but it hadn't caught her yet, so she had actually stopped reading it. And so she picked up Lost Stars and she was like it was so easy to like dive into the Star Wars world with a book like Lost Stars at the time because I didn't know as much as I know now. And I saw that was a really interesting mm-hmm. perspective that I hadn't thought about before and you know, talking about like Lost Stars is very accessible for a lot of people at different like fandom levels almost. And of course, like you don't have to have a certain amount of knowledge to be a fan um, by any means, but kind of like an easy way to describe it of, you know, what, whatever your your level of knowledge is, this book is still going to be entertaining for you and you're not going to be lost,
1: Right. It's because it's not really a story that's contingent on another story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes well, that's how Star Wars kind books of are
0: cuz it tracks the whole original trilogy. But I get what you're saying. Like it's not like tied. even if it even if the
1: names were changed and it was a different regime or anything like that, I feel like we'd still get the point across of the whole opposite sides of the war thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: You know, like I don't think you really have to have like a huge no- like I don't know. I think about some a book like that was a. I don't think it was called this, but like the journey to Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking about Catalyst and how Catalyst basically it ends and basically you're like it. It really is almost a footnote for Rogue One. It's a great book. I liked it. It's just it. It was really dependent on Rogue One, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think that Lost Stars is dependent on really anything. You know, like it's not it's not dependent on The Force Awakens even, even though it's Journey to the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, Last Stars, it really is an excellent book for no matter where you are in your fandom world or even like what your favorite part of fandom is. I think it's going to, I mean, it does appeal to so many people. Um. So, yeah. so definitely check out Shannon, <laughs> Shannon's channel. Uh, it's really good. And she's over on the podcast network 1901. And then also like Lipsticks and Lightsabers. Her and Alex do great work over there too. One of the things I love to do with Star Wars books is talk about where they rank on Goodreads. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know if you remember, but like years ago, we did a book review section on Sky Talkers, like one of the very early episodes of Sky Talkers. And it was like when Ahsoka had come out or something. And we had like three books that we had read to like really talk about and compare, which I don't know. I just think it's interesting. But Lost Stars has a 4.25 rating on Goodreads with over 16,000 reviews, and the aftermath books have a 3.2 with over 22,000 reviews. That one was the highest one. I'm not going to read all of them because I pulled like so many of these books. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just like I think it's interesting to go through like ratings and like numbers of reviews and stuff, and just see like where fandom is kind of spending their time. Um because like some books, like, for example, I texted you about this because I was so surprised. like Last shot had only has 3,000 reviews compared to like Dark Disciple, which has 11,000 reviews, which I was like, that seems so disproportionate to me. like I <laughs> Dark Disciple feels like such an under the radar book, whereas I felt like Last shot was everywhere and I love like those are two of my favorite Star Wars books actually. like I, Hardcore, Stan, Last Shot, and Dark Disciple. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just so surprised. I was like, Last Shot only has three thousand reviews. Like, what is the deal? So, if you're listening and you haven't read Last Shot or Dark Disciple, go and read those books. They will rock your world. I promise.
1: What's interesting to me about this list is Thrawn is basically in second place mm-hmm. after Aftermath, which Aftermath makes sense to me because it really was, like we mentioned, the book that they hyped up the most. And it's also been out the longest, so like of course it would accumulate those ratings. But well, Thrawn, it's I guess it's just the the group I suppose who's reading Aftermath and Thrawn, yeah, well, Versus you, Lost <laughs> Stars, which is like five thousand underneath those.
0: Yeah, but still you think about like Thrawn and uh, like Thrawn in particular, that character existed in novel form only. Until Rebels. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were pulled into watching Rebels because they're fans of Thrawn. They're all, there. a lot of them, I assume, are really big fans of the EU uh, and were big readers of those books. So they're like, oh, another Thrawn book, like, right up my alley. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I think it makes sense. Um, what was funny is when I checked on Bloodline at the time, it had exactly 16,666 reviews. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> which I just thought was funny. <laughs> um, but I mean Claudia's books all have some of the highest ratings of books that I looked at on Goodreads, which, you know, I think anytime you talk to anyone about Star Wars books and the New Canon, one of the first recommendations is probably gonna be a Claudia Gray book.
1: True. I think that most people recommend either Uh, Honestly, all of her books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that they're ever left out of someone's
0: recommendation grouping for a new Star Wars fan. Yeah, no, definitely not. So where does Lost Stars rank in your personal ranking of new canon books for Star Wars? (sighs) This is so hard because now that I've reread it, I
1: feel like I have a better perspective on it it because it has has been four years. And it makes me just want to go back and reread Leia and Bloodline again because those are really like – kind of tossed around as some of my favorite Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah
1: and i don't i mean i really do love it so much and i think it would be my first to recommend it honestly anyone so that would probably make it my top but in terms of new canon we all know my favorite is the revenge of the Sith novelization but in terms of new canon (laughs) in terms of new canon i would say lost stars or Bloodline. I don't know. We loved
0: Last Shot. It was so fun. Last Shot. That's the thing. Like, Last Shot just crept up on me and was like, you're going to love me. <laughs> and it was right. It really was.
1: It, it really was. It was so wacky. It was, it was so it good.
0: was so good. I just, whenever I think about that book, I laugh. <laughs> Remember Argo, The Gun Gun? <laughs>
1: Yeah, everything is good about that book it's
0: so, it's so crazy
1: <laughs> people guessing. really don't like it though that's what's, that's what's so weird really like is it? that there are people who are like a lot of people don't really love it and I'm what? like wait what? what it's so good and
0: you get baby Ben Solo <laughs> and a so good you can forget a crazy. cap droid. <laughs> droid you get droids with wookie limbs floating in space you get amazing droid moments you get Han and Lando having a fashion show on the falcon <laughs> like, there's just nothing. Everything
1: is good. It's just
0: <laughs> nothing to not love about Last Shot. <laughs> it's just like. Now I want to go reread it. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> we do have a review of Last Shot up, though. Um, <laughs> but
1: never forget when Daniel Jose older. <laughs> Listen to our show in live. Tweet he basically live
0: tweets. And what's funny about that show is we had a secret bonus part four of our last shot review, which was basically us just going over all of our favorite baby Ben Solo moments and being like, oh my God, he's so cute, like totally fangirling. And it was a secret bonus part four. And as Daniel Jose Older is like live tweeting the episode where we reviewed last shot, I was like, oh my God, he's getting closer and closer. <laughs> To bonus Part Four, <laughs> all about me. So bonus. embarrassing. And the funny thing is is that he didn't tweet about Bonus Part Four. <laughs> I mean like I understand why people bail at the end like I get it makes it. sense it's but right. it's just that's why it was a bonus cuz like we did our whole outro we like had the music and then like if you don't look at your phone at your player and it's like oh there's an extra 10 minutes to this episode is this just dead air time but no it's just us fangirling over how cute baby Ben solo is so I always <laughs> wonder like if he was one of those people that was like oh the outro music and like you know push pause and moved on with his life which fair or if he did listen and was like this is so cringy, I can't even, like, tweet about it. (laughs) But then at the same time, I'm like, you wrote it, dude. Like, (laughs) And he baby. He baby. He baby. Daniel, Daniel, who was a older, was literally like, he baby.
1: (laughs) In canon. canon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway, this isn't a last shot podcast. (laughs) We're going to talk about lost stars. But
0: they have the same (laughs) initials, so... True, 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 true. true, true, true. How does this book rank for you? I think, I think like I have to do like Lost Stars, Last Shot, Last Jedi novelization, and like Dark Disciple. I think those are my top four.
1: I think that makes sense. I love the Last Jedi novelization. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to, for me, because sometimes in my ranking, I don't want to include the novelizations, even though I think they deserve a spot. I just think that sometimes, like the new stories, maybe I, I I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know either. It's hard. It's like, should you even add in novelizations? I don't know. But here I am doing it. We certainly refer back to the last Jedi novelization enough that it should probably actually be number one. <laughs> Exactly. Like, if I had a dollar for every time we referenced it on the show, you can scratch it off your Sky Talkers mango if you've got that in front of you, listeners. Um, then we could, we could like do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> we really could. We really could. We could buy so many fuzzy tauntauns at Oga's Cantina in Galaxy's Edge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we really could. We really could. Okay, Caitlin, what are your favorite parts of this book?
0: I really love something I really loved about during this reading was I really love the pace of this book. It moves so fast, but I never feel like I'm missing something. Like the this really is a character-based story. It isn't about the plot so much, even though the plot informs so much of how our characters are acting, why they are. I just like I love how quickly it moves. Like in one second you're in a new hope timeline and then suddenly like two chapters later you're like at the end of Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> um, because it kind of mm-hmm. goes to what we were, I was saying earlier. It's like this movie isn't about what is going on with the sky talk with with the sky talkers. With this, oh <laughs> <laughs> that's embarrassing. <laughs> with the skywalkers, um, it's about what's going on with Aain and Siana and how they are reacting to all of these things that the skywalkers are causing. Really, at the end of the day, and I don't know. I really enjoy the pace of it. I think it. Moves really quickly. I never feel like I'm missing time with the characters, or I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Because I feel like you do run that risk when you're, you know, having these big time jumps multiple times throughout your book. I feel like you there is a risk of not of losing key character moments, and I never felt like that throughout this book. So that was something that I really liked. Um, I really liked the pacing of it. What about you? Yeah.
1: Um, I totally agree with you. I think it moves so fast, but in such an appropriate quickness. But to me, I think that this book really nails, and this is something I just don't want to take for granted, I think it just really nails the nuance that goes into understanding the empire. And I think Claudia Gray just does such a good job of making us sympathetic with the character themselves, but never the institution. And I think that that is so crucial when you have a story that is supposed to kind of expose what it's like to have a friend on the Death Star or, conversely, a friend on Alderaan. And I think that it just does such a good job about it. And that when I did revisit it, I was reminded of, you know, how often this conversation is about, you know, there's heroes on both sides, that whole line in Revenge of the Sith in um, the crawl there. I don't think that this book really necessarily highlights the heroes on both sides aspect like fully but instead it kind of exposes the horrors in a way that doesn't make you hate cyana but instead makes you sympathetic for her and i i think that this is obviously something that's been explored like throughout canon and it's just done so well here that even when i read it then it gave me hope for the future of star wars that they'd kind of explore this nuance this gray area this understanding and it's not even really a gray area you know it's just really handled to me super well um I also really love the romance aspect can't deny it definitely my favorite part of it this is definitely my favorite romance oh, yeah. in Star Wars books oh, yeah, 100%.
0: yeah yeah I think <laughs> yeah I mean we're here for the romance um, <laughs> I'll just make that clear I think you brought up a really good point about the heroes on both sides um, kind of theme that we see so much throughout Star Wars, and that I think you can also scratch off your Skydunkers bingo <laughs> if you have it in front of you. <laughs> but the the thing that was great about Thane and Diana is that they're not actually heroes for either of their sides. Um, like yeah. with Rogue One, that was a lot of the um, not not the theme of Rogue One, but just like ordinary people doing extraordinary things, but like they die in this very heroic fashion and like we're meant to view them as heroes as the story goes on because they, you know, like Jin comes around and stands up and defies the rebellion in order to actually help the rebellion. Like she, they all end up doing very heroic things, but that's not Thane and Sianna's story. They don't end up making these great saves for the empire or the rebellion. Um, They are just like trying to survive. And there's nothing Mm -hmm. like romantically heroic about that in like a dramatic sense. But there is their romance at the center of it, which is where the drama comes from. So I think I think that's a really good point, because they are just like super normal people. But so often, like, I mean, that's Luke's whole thing, you know, it's like this normal guy from Tatooine becomes a hero and like he's the special and and Rogue One has that too. But we get to know Thane and Diana so intimately, but that's never part of their story.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I really mean, like, I think that it's easy. It would have been easy for Claudia to kind of be like, see, this is a character you sympathize with. The Empire isn't that bad. Yeah, they're cruel, but they're not that bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that would have been the easy route. But Star Wars can't function like that. You know, it it just can't. And I think that in a very subtle way, they explore all these different themes and ways that the Empire is literally pitting these two people against each other and uh, committing horrors and atrocities across the galaxy. But it takes a long time for Sienna to realize it. It doesn't take Thane that long because he's just a natural cynic. And I just think it's it's interesting that they, I just think she could have taken the easy route, but she didn't. And I think that that should not be taken for granted.
0: No, everything is handled really well within the story, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny because that, like, robot chicken skits were some of the first that were, like, their friends on the Death Star. <laughs> and that kind of stuff, like, yeah. stormtroopers taking their daughter to work day kind of thing. And um, it was all, you know, for fun and laughs and robot chicken, because that's obviously what robot chicken is. It's a parody. But then, like, actually seeing, not, like, take your daughter to work, but seeing, like, similar themes and ideas being brought up and really, like, Created into a story within Lost Stars and one that works really well as, as far as talking about, like, what does it take for someone to, like, who are these people in the empire? Where do they come from? Why are they all okay with this? And then how do they become not okay with that? And then where does that leave them? And mm-hmm. what would you do in that situation? I think it does a really good job of asking you that. And it's like, I think we'd all like to think that we'd be Thane and leave, but. That's like, that's the really hard choice <laughs> to do that. Exactly. And I think, I think a lot of us might end up like Sayana, just like, this is, this is what I have to do. And it's better, like that line that Jin says, like, if you don't look up, you don't see the flag flying above you and you don't have to mm-hmm. acknowledge it or really think about it. And sometimes that's the easier thing, but Santana gets to the point in the book where she can't do that anymore. Um, And she can't keep like basically lying to herself and trying to convince herself that things aren't what they actually are.
1: Right. So do we think there's going to be a sequel? I
0: hope so. I think it sets it up for a sequel. The thing is I had forgotten the last part of this book with Nash. I know. Me too. Um, And I, we're going to talk about Nash in part two, because I think he's, he's a super, super interesting character that there was Mm -hmm. like, there really was so much of this book that I had forgotten. Like I forgot how fast it moved. I forgot about Nash. I forgot about like their whole kind of friend group and how they all kind of move around Thane and Sienna throughout the book. Um, Mm -hmm. But Nash was so interesting (laughs) And they, totally. she definitely set it up that it would be easy to segue into a sequel. Obviously, I, I really don't think there is. Like, I don't think that's been approved at all yet in the cards, you know what I mean? I don't think she's being coy, like, well, mm-hmm. maybe in a year or something, wink, wink. I think it's literally I don't think anything's been done yet.
1: Yeah, it's it's just interesting because I feel like Lost Stars is probably one of their best selling books that they'd want to make a sequel Mm-hmm. And, you know, they made a bunch of sequels to Thrawn. Like, well, come on, let's have a sequel to The Lost Stars. We need it. We want yeah.
0: it. I need, like, some more angsty conversations between Th- Thane and Siana in literal prison cells. And
1: maybe <laughs> what they're waiting for since such a hallmark of Lost Stars is, like, you get to know the, like, points in history in Star Wars. And there's really none of that like fully fleshed out in um that era yet so maybe they're just waiting for like the mandalorian to come out and to kind of like give some um like bullet points on the history (laughs) chart you know to kind of make you aware of where the characters would kind of be witnessing certain events you know but uh i'm i'm very very
0: eager what if they end up on the Colossus before like, Kaz, <laughs> like, years before Kaz gets there? What's interesting is, like, that
1: would, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. Because I was going to say, oh, my God, that would be, like, 30 years. So, like, it would make sense if Lost, the Lost Star sequel was, like, the sequel trilogy. But it, it's not going to be like that because they, they'd they be 30 years older. And I just don't think that, I mean, maybe they would. I don't know. I just don't think, I don't see them doing that, you know?
0: No, but I just want them to go on the Colossus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Colossus, Resistance comes back next week. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, and the last question before we kind of move on to part two is how does revisiting this book, now that we have two thirds of the sequel trilogy, change our initial perceptions of Lost Stars?
1: I just wish I could go back and think and know what I was thinking when I read it the first time because it wasn't in my head that oh, they're setting us up for the sequel trilogy to have a Starcrest Lover story. And they are, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> and so, like, when I read this now, it's so amazing how many things I underline that I was like, oh, my God, that's so Reylo, you know? And I I feel like that's really the biggest change for me. Also, like I mentioned before, I'm super, I'm way more relaxed, like, at looking for hints and everything. But it's just fun to see the perspective and to revisit, like, I don't know. It's actually, like, really interesting to read all the scenes with Palpatine.
0: One of the, like, weird things that I kept thinking about while I was reading this was Sienna knows a couple of people from Lothal that are on, like, her starter stores and stuff with her that she becomes friends with. And I thought it was so interesting because at the time, we only had one season of Rebels when Lost Stars came out, I think season two might have started, but it had only like just started. Right. And what's interesting, of course, now about Rebels knowing is that Lothal has zero participation in the events of the original trilogy. like mm-hmm. And knowing that like, there are all these people from Lothal that are on like working for the empire, but like how much knowledge do they have about the events that were going on? During the time of rebels, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting, like especially how um, Thane and Sianna's homeworld is treated and how they talk about their homeworld, uh, and of course how Nash talks about his homeworld. I don't know. It was just something that like I kept thinking about. I was like, oh, like what is Lothal do doing during this time? Yeah, because <laughs> they're not they're not being oppressed by the Empire because the Empire is gone and never came back. You know. Interesting. So, I don't know. That was like one of those weird things that I was like, "Oh, like at the time we had no idea about lethal, but now we do." Mm-hmm. So have it, to, really.
1: With all those notes, I just wonder, knowing what we know now, like you mentioned about story group and their influence and how they basically give notes like, "This doesn't really work here," but like maybe you could try this. You know, like EK Johnston got like a a note to add more Palpatine. You know. Oh yeah. Which I think is honestly one of the most interesting notes and given the timing and everything. And I wonder if the conversation was like, oh no, you can make them from Lothal. That would be kind of cool. You know?
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's good though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the themes. I'm ready. I'm ready too. Listen, big deal. You got
1: another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part two, where we're going to be talking about the themes. So let's start with, I think, the biggest one, which is loyalty and how our characters deal with loyalty. I think that if you were to describe Sienna, it would definitely be loyal. <laughs> she's loyal to Thane and she's loyal to the Empire. Um, but I wouldn't say the same really for Thane, even though I think that he is loyal to a, a degree. Um, what do you think about this theme, Galen?
0: I think this really is the overarching theme for the whole book. Like, mm-hmm. who is loyal to who? What loyalty reigns supreme? When are loyalties tested? Um, what is that breaking point when mm-hmm. you are no longer loyal to something? Can you – like, and Thane and Sana ask this to each other throughout the whole book. Like, can – if you keep a promise to one person but then have to – break it at for someone else, are you still being loyal? Like they just like they go back and forth with this question all the time, which makes a lot of sense obviously for the sides that they put themselves on in the middle of the war. But I think it's so interesting, like these different layers. Like one of the best examples I think is when Thane goes to stand vigil with Cyan and her father like two thirds of the way through the book because cyana's mother has been accused of embezzlement basically mm-hmm. from the empire and part of Sienna's um culture where she comes from on their homeworld is that when someone has been accused like your community is supposed to come and like literally stand vigil with you at your home and like basically guard your home during this like difficult time or whatever and no one comes except for Thane, who isn't really a part of Cyanna's culture or from her community. And that's not a part of his um, culture at all. But he comes and stands with her after he's already joined the rebellion and after Cyanna has told him, like, if you come back, like if I ever see you again, I'm gonna report you to the Empire. But he still comes because like his loyalty to Cyanna outweighs the risk that he could turn her in, she could turn him in and get him executed. And then Cyanna She, like, quotes this thing from their, like, from their rituals of standing vigil of, like, you earn our hospitality and our protection because you came to stand vigil with us. And Thana's like, oh, so the protection that comes with standing vigil outweighs your loyalty to the Empire to turn me in as a traitor and as a rebel spy, basically. Mm -hmm. And Thayna was like, I get, like... (laughs) <laughs> yes. I <guess. laughs> And and then but then like Thane's underlying question is really like, is it about like me standing vigil, or is it because of the feelings you have for me? Like, what's re- like, what is taking top priority here? And mm-hmm. but then there's the whole and then like even in that situation between Thane and Cyanna there's her father and her mother, and like Cyanna's superiors at the at the imperial level who are basically like testing Sienna, or that's what we're led to believe. And even if Diana is, like, ready to, you know, try and get a meeting and prove her mother's innocence or whatever, or even try and shorten her sentence, her father is the one who's like, no, we're loyal to the Empire. But we're, like, we're loyal to you and you're loyal to the Empire and, like, th- we can't let this harm you. So you need to, like, we signed up for this and this is what we're going to do. And his loyalty stays with the Empire and with Sienna, even at the expense of his wife. Yeah, that's really the thing
1: that that whole part of the book is so interesting, because to me, it brings up this whole question of true loyalty versus loyalty because of fear. And I think that that's something that like, really, the question is, are they fearful if they step out of the line, if they're not loyal to the Empire, or are they loyal because of love or you know all these things and i yeah. think that like you see the 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 feeling of love loyalty with cyana and thane and opposite and even the family to um Sienna. but i think that really cyana's father is really acting in fearful loyalty and it's devastating to watch because it's like you are really loyal to the empire despite the fact that your wife is being accused of something that she basically did not do mm-hmm. you know um, and I think that that's kind of like a microcosm of what we're supposed to think about in terms of blind loyalty and uh, what the empire really forces you to believe, and it's all about fear. Yeah. And it makes me think of Grand Moff Tarkin's line, you know, fear will keep the local systems in line, and it's like, okay, well, is that really the best form of loyalty? No, it's not, because they're the bad guys, but it's it's interesting that it works you know, it works to an extent.
0: Yeah. One of the things that Sienna had said that I found was really interesting is, of course, her and Thane are having this conversation about promises and loyalty and, like, what their feelings are for each other. And they're talking about, like, the word promise. And Thayn like, well, I promised the empire that I would be loyal to them. And things like, but you didn't know, like, you didn't know who they were at the time. Like, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't hold yourself to that. And Thayn like, well, that's what a promise is. Like, that's why a promise is a promise. Like if I knew everything about a person, like that's easy to be like yes or no. But a promise is like putting your trust in kind of this unknown and agreeing to be loyal to that. She's like that's what I said I would do. And pain is like, my God, no. <laughs> 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 um, but like obviously there's so much else going on there. Uh, but I I just like I. Th- Like you said earlier, like, this book really could have done the really easy thing of being, like, Empire bad or, like, everyone. Like, there's a human behind everything that happens, even in, like, these horrible situations. Mm -hmm. And it's true, but, like, this book is so much more nuanced in regards to that. And it's also – it also could have been, like, very over their head as far as, like – How people are loyal to the Empire versus the Rebellion, but I really do think it was nuanced, and I think that you see that best in Sienna as she moves through the book, and even at the end, she talks about how like she isn't here for like at the very end after the original trilogy is over, and it's like her, I think it's her going into the Battle of Jakku, and she's like, she basically says like I'm not here for the Empire anymore, but I have a responsibility to all of these people in my command. To do Mm -hmm. a good job,
1: and yeah, she becomes like robotic in that point. Yeah, it's like it's really to me a sense of blind loyalty of like this is my duty, this is how I have to act, and it's the only way that I can get through the day.
0: And it's also it's also like there is no way out too. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I found myself thinking a lot about Kylo in that vein, and I think Kylo and Sayana are very different, so I don't want to draw too many comparisons between them, and their situations are very different, too, but I think this idea of, like, I'm here, like, there isn't a way out. I just, like, I have to do this. Like, there is no other choice. I think both of them feel, in a way, like, backed into a corner in certain situations, and that, like... I can't like I can't leave like there's nothing to go back to. If I leave, they'll destroy my family. Um, like I can't actually go to Thane. Like I'd have to admit that I was wrong, or I won't be able to get to him, or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. I think that Kylo feels a lot of that too throughout the sequel trilogy, especially when it comes to him like trying to make the choice of whether or not he's going to leave the the dark side or or the First Order or the or Snoke. Um, So I think that's a piece of it too. But like you said, it is like blind loyalty and forced loyalty too. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about
1: Nash and also this concept that I thought was like super fascinating. Also with rebels in the back of my mind, specifically season four of rebels, the basically erasing of the cultures that the empire was doing quietly, quickly and I think it is something that, in in New Canon, that they've like that they've shown the Empire doing that is just so sinister to me. That each of these worlds that have these rich cultures and um, practices and stuff that there are even you know beautiful temples with their own religions around them, that they get taken over. Um, by the Empire. And I think that there's this great line um, when it's in the kind of the beginning of the book where when Thane and Sienna are just cadets and um, it's on page 63. Was it worth explaining the divide between the Jalucani Valley kindred and the second wave settlers? Thane decided to skip it. That was the kind of homeworld thinking the Academy instructors frowned upon. I thought it was interesting that when they were in the cadet academy or um, the imperial academy that they couldn't at all kind of refer to their home worlds. And I think this comes up with Nash and his Alderani heritage. Um, I know you wanted to talk about Nash a little bit more, Caitlin. So why don't you kind of bring that together?
0: Well, you're right. They do have this, like this separation and um, I think we see that with Nane and Sienna, and specifically specifically with Sienna later on when she asks to have leave to go home when her mother is accused of embezzlement, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, like I guess if that's what you want to do with your leave time, like go home," and they're like really judgy about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but like with Nash in particular, like like you said, like there is this like you belong to the empire now, like you don't have a home world, but Nash is always like very proud of Alderon out the entire like when they're at the academy and stuff one of the first things conversations he has with Thane is like you have to come like it'll be so great I'll take you to Alderaan and you'll like see how great the culture is like he's very proud and Thane is like okay Mm -hmm. I guess I'm gonna go to Alderaan (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but then of course like Alderaan is destroyed by the Death Star and literally erased literally erased and Nash like this is after Thane. This is yeah. This is after Thane has already left. No, no, no. Thane is still in the first or the Empire at the time. Um, but this like that really is kind of the last straw for him. But it isn't for Nash. And that's what's so interesting is that Nash stays in the Empire. And Sayana says that he basically has a year where he is just like a shell of himself. And like mm-hmm. you know, he loses all this weight. He has no more personality. Like he's basically a zombie walking around. And then he suddenly like becomes so much more devoted to the empire, even after they destroyed his homeworld, which, mm-hmm. as a reader, you're like, why?" <laughs> like that just doesn't make any sense. But I think, and like later conversations that Nash has with Diana and even with Thane really kind of highlight that for him he was like he says at one point he was like, "No, like Alderon had." to be destroyed so that people would see that the empire is so powerful. Like that's what needed to be done. Like he comes to that place where he just has, like he just, that's what he has to believe. And that just digs his loyalty into the empire because he also says too, like, well, now I have like, I literally have nothing left, nothing. It's mm-hmm. like it's all gone. The empire is all I have.
1: Yeah. And I think that to me, Nash is the personification of the empire's indoctr- indoctrination and, like, erasing of all cultures. And you even see that with Jalucan. I feel like I'm just pronouncing that wrong, so whatever. Um, Jalucan and how it was, you know, a world with a lot of culture, a lot of different classes, and uh, there, its own customs and everything. And, of course, it's used for minds. And later, the empire kind of takes control of it and, like, kind of levels it to the ground, you know, as we see with Rose's homeworld, as we see throughout the First Order time period. Like, we just see this being repeated and repeated. But I do think that Nash is just, like, really the personification of, like, that's what happens when you destroy someone's culture. You either become almost an extremist in a positive way, like Leia, or you become like Nash, who is completely, he just turns a blind eye to the potential reasons why the empire would have done this and pledges complete unfaulting loyalty and is completely brainwashed into thinking that was the only way. And it's almost this act of it's the only way he can carry on. And I think that that's like an avenue that you can explore is that maybe the only way that he can kind of cope with this is understanding that Alderaan needed to go because his life is in the empire. And if he left, he would be, um, on the run and his life would be in danger, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, I do think that he is this embodiment of the evil, you know, indoctrination of the empire.
0: One thing that if we ever do get a sequel, it's very easy to see Nash as being the big bad for Athene and Santa. Um mm-hmm. At that point, kind of how they set up the ending. But one thing that I would have loved to have seen in this book is Thane, uh Nash talking more about Leia as the novel progresses because in the beginning yeah. when they go to that party and uh, Thane gets to dance with Leia and Sian mm-hmm. is like oh my god and Thane's like yeah I can't wait to tell Nash like he's going to be so jealous you know because like at mm-hmm. that point she's still like princess of Alderaan and how Nash must have reacted to knowing that like the rebellion is led by the like one of the last remaining Alderaanians and like it's her and like how could she do that like like I wonder if he, it's almost like a, this is her fault like because of what she did Alderaan mm-hmm. had to be sacrificed you know and I, I think I think that would be so interesting to have this conversation between Nash and Leia at some point and how they would like what they would talk about and how they would approach each other I don't mm-hmm. know I just think it'd be really interesting because we have that comic right there's a comic with Leia like or, and Yvonne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Yvonne where it's kind of dealing with her grief about Alderaan and like when she comes in contact with other people from Alderaan and how they react to her and what things there are left from Alderaan like that were on other planets or things like that and how they're all very precious. So I think mm-hmm. it would be really interesting. I, I hope that at some point we get to see that like a conversation between Nash and Leia, you know, if there is mm-hmm. a Lost Star sequel, I think that would be one of my top wishes.
1: Yeah, that comic does describe Leia as like, I think they say, they call her the ice princess, mm-hmm. someone who doesn't really react or cry or mourn the loss of Alderaan in the way that the people wanted her to. So I'm I'm with you. I think I would have liked to see Nash react like that. But of course, I don't think that comic came out then, or if it had just come out, it was being writing written. So like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting. And I think that now, Claudia probably has a, a different perspective on young Leia as well. Now, after writing Leia, Princess of Alderaan, that she would have liked to explore that too.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, like, I wonder if Leia could, like, if Leia would be able to reach Nash. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And, like, seeing him and then, like, dig his heels in even more with Cyanna. And, like, he thinks she's dead at the end of the book. And he's like, this is, like, this is this is Thane's fault too. <laughs> and like if he yeah. hadn't left, <laughs> if he if he had actually died, then, you know, maybe eventually Cyanna would have been with me and but now she's dead too and it's because he's still alive and he was with the rebellion and so she was still in love with him and like he just like snowballs this whole thing in his head and it's very it's like you understand it and you're like wow. Like, that's like that's what the empire does to people. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think Nash is a really interesting character and in, like following his trajectory through the book. Like cuz like I said, I really had forgotten all about him. <laughs> um <laughs> like really I just remembered like the storylines I remembered well were Thane and Siana and then Jude, um Sienna's friend who died on the first Death star. Um but I had forgotten all about Nash and like I said that he was at the end of this book in like a very sinister kind of role. So I hope <laughs> That's wow! I really want that now. <laughs> <laughs> now you just want that, yeah, yeah. Maybe from in like a certain point of view, kind of thing. There was that would be cool, yeah, yeah. Which Claudia has also written one of those too. So Claudia, please write us a Thane and Leia one shot. All right.
1: Okay, next Nash time we and talk Leia. to Claudia Gray, we need to ask her about Nash.
0: Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. You need to like write that down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about the romance, um, because. I think this is kind of the key takeaway of this entire book is like, Oh my God, romance. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And I think it's like, to me as, and it's, I think men obviously enjoy romance too. It's not that. I just think as a woman, 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 woman (laughs) fan, male. I, uh, yeah, I was trying to, I was like, I I don't really like the word female. So I like went for whatever. Um, (laughs) As a woman fan, I feel like, I felt very seen reading this book because I was like, yes, this is what I love. I love this part of Star Wars. Like I love romance in Star Wars. It's no secret. So, I it was just so great. And I think that again, it's just handled super well. Like you have so you have the story that goes from opposite upbringings to like you can't date because you're like working to you're basically kind of working against each other and training to be uh imperial officers and then opposite sides of war, so you have this like kind of friends to enemies to lovers situation, and then enemies again, and it's just so complicated and so juicy and amazing
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's an interesting like, trope to kind of spin on its head, like, enemies to lovers because, like, they're not actually enemies. Like, they're never enemies of each other. But – and, like, Thane doesn't, like – Thane says at one point, like – like, I forget the quote. Um, but, like, he doesn't, like, leave the Empire and immediately join the Rebellion. You know, like, that's not his motivation. I don't know. I just think it's – I think it's a good – like enemies to lovers is one of the best tropes out there. We all love it. Like I I know very few people that don't enjoy the enemies to lovers trope. <laughs> um, but this one is so cool because they have grown up together and because this book does move at such a fast clip, you really get to see them like there's enough time with them spent in childhood and you know they've got their fortress that they build like up in this cave and then they are in school together and you get to see these moments of them kind of being like, "Oh, like Thane looks really hot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to think about that. And then their friends are like, you're telling me you've never thought about Sienna that way. And he's like, no, no, definitely not. And they're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you get to see like that progression. And then it's like when, you know, this like big scary event happens, suddenly it's like, oh my God, like the first person I thought of was you. And like, what does that mean? And then it's like, Oh my God, we're separated because of our job. I don't know, and like, like you, like you said, they become enemies. They're on opposite sides of the war, but their loyalties to each other still precede any loyalties they have to their respective organizations. Even though they both kind of talk about how it doesn't, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like Thane has that whole sob fest with Mon Mothma, which again, I also forgot that he like basically gets drunk with Mon Mothma, doesn't know it's her. <laughs> And he, like, (laughs) cries about Sienna and tells her the whole thing, and then he meets her the next day, like, as Mon Mothma, and he's like, oh, no.
1: Who among (laughs) us has not sobbed about a forgotten love with Mon Mothma?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that needs to be on a bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) Who's among us? (laughs) (laughs) What is he proposing?
1: (laughs) What is she proposing? Marriage.
0: (laughs) <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but he has like that whole sob story, and he like, and when he's drunk, he's like, "I could never do it. I could never kill her." And the next day, Mon Mothma's like, "You might have to kill her." And he's like, "I can do it." And then as soon as he gets in <laughs> the situation, he's like, "I can't do it." <laughs> <laughs> and and but the thing is, is like, Thane is always kind of he's not on the fringes of the rebellion by any means, but. He, it's a very he has a very different relationship with the rebellion than what Sienna has with the Empire, and yeah. But even in that moment, like in their last battle, when she gets like critically injured at the end of Return of the Jedi, and he's like, their her commander is like, "You can leave one rebel pilot alive," and she's like, "Well, it's gonna be Thane." <laughs> And even then she's like rationalizing it to herself after Nash gets in the way, and she's just going on about like, I'm not a traitor. like i didn't I didn't disobey orders. like if Nash got in the way, i he said one person, he didn't say that I like couldn't pick the one person <laughs> to stay alive. like I was just doing my duty, and Thane just happened to be there, so I just happened to save him and like that's fine, right?
1: She like has to rationalize, yeah, it.
0: yeah, exactly. And the only thing that she ever did that was like by the book's betrayal was when she lied that Thane had committed suicide. And, mm, and it eats her up in, inside. It does. And I think Thane even says at one point, like, like, the, like, Sianna is loyal to a fault for even, even to those that don't deserve her or would do the same back for her. And he mm-hmm. doesn't understand how she doesn't see that. Or she still keeps loyalty to them, even as she sees that. I don't know. I think the romance is so good (laughs) and there isn't
1: a moment in this book that I'm not rooting for them yeah and like I I feel like that's difficult to achieve with the kind of enemies dynamic because I I don't know they do bad stuff you know Mm -hmm. and (laughs) but I think really this the like linchpin for me was when of like amazingness and like oh my god they have to be together was then when they realized that the empire itself was kind of pitting them against each other um when they were cadets yeah because they were like so soft and cute when they were like cheering each other on even though like they were so close in rankings and you know all these things and then things changed and you got kind of depressed that you Know they weren't doing that anymore, but then when you find out that the empire is be- behind the because you're like, oh my god, great, like they love each other, wow. And then, <laughs> um, and then when you realize the empire is doing it to like make them be enemies, you're like, oh my god,
0: no, I hate the empire, all these things, you know? Yeah, that was like, I really feel so that was with the um. Like the laser cannon project or something that they had to do while they were cadets, and I love how that chapter starts off of like everything was fine until the laser cannon project. <laughs> <laughs> it's like almost like from a sitcom, like everything was going splendidly until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and they they and they find out like so they have this project, and basically the empire makes it look like they sabotaged each other. And so then they lose trust in each other. But the thing is, they find out, like, they basically put connect the dots that the Empire did this. And Thane is, like, outraged. But then Sienna is, like, mm-hmm. this is just, like, the way it is. And Thane's, like, what? And this really is, like, the first time that you're starting to see that divide between them and that divide of, like, ideologies, too. And mm-hmm. it does divide them for a really long time. Like, they have this big fight. And then they don't talk until graduation, basically. And even then, Thane is, like, still trying to reach Diana because that, like, is the thing that he believes in the most is her and he, like, knows who she is. But Diana talks about how she, like, is always kind of shutting him down throughout that time. And you're right. It's, like, even in those moments, like, you want to shake Diana and be like, what are you doing? Like, you know that the Empire did this to put you against each other, like – you're okay with that. <laughs> and it just like it it almost doesn't make sense, but the thing that was great about them is that they did have this like unconditional forgiveness for each other once they finally were able to talk about it. but it just took them forever to actually get to the point where they could talk about it. I don't know I thought that was a really interesting like that little event really kind of set in motion, all these things. And it was this really great like chapter that kind of distilled down their personalities and what we would see them do throughout the rest of the novel, but on this like galactic scale with Thane and the rebellion and Sienna and the empire.
1: Mm -hmm. If we can compare Ray and Kylo to Thane and Sienna, and I know they are different characters, but sometimes the aspects are just really similar I think something that really gets me about the romance aspect is how often it is referred to, and we're just coming off our discussion of destiny and fate, how often it's referred to that the Force puts them together. And even in the last part where Thane is, you know, going on to the Star Destroyer to rescue Sienna and, like, bring her out from committing suicide, the he goes like of all the star destroyers, I boarded hers, you know, and all these different aspects where they're brought together in this huge wide galaxy. It's usually, it feels coincidental and entire in the entire time, you know, there's all this conversation about like how we're supposed to feel about the force. And since these are ordinary people, they, I do think it's interesting that they, they're eight years out of, uh, revenge of the Sith. And they're already viewing, um, the force as like mythic and a myth. And I think that just really speaks to what we see in the force awakens. But anyway, I just think that they, they refer to like, is it the force? Is it not? I don't know, but it feels like destiny, you know? And that is an aspect that I just really love about Dane and Sayana. And every time that came up, I was like, oh my God, wow. (laughs) And I just think that when we talk about destiny and fate, it's just in the same way. I think that there's so many lines where it was like, yeah, the force has a way of bringing people together, and I think that's literally a line. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, that's just like Rey and Kylo," and it's like what we always talk about with like the force separating them when like things get too like intense <laughs> and violent, or the force bringing them together. Or, like in, you know, I think that line of like all the star destroyers I boarded hers. It's very Casablanca, very like of all the gin joints and all the towns that you walked into mine. Yeah. So I just I I don't know. I can't. I, I just love this aspect of destiny and how they really are meant to be together despite all their differences. Um, their differences from day one um, and their differences all the way up to the end. And I think that the book ends in kind of an ambiguous way where, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later right now, where Sayana isn't 100% sure what she thinks about the fact that Thane saved her from doing her duty mm-hmm. And I think as a reader, you're like, no, like, thank God Thane saved you. You would have died in a blaze and it wouldn't have been a blaze of glory mm-hmm. um, because you're you were like a shell of yourself in that moment. It was you were robotic and carrying out this act. And I feel like. I I just feel I feel like there's a certain part of partnership where Thane is like, OK, I thought that that was best for you in that moment. And hopefully someday you'll understand that I was right. Yeah. And I think that maybe she doesn't see it now, but hopefully she will because she needs to, because Thane was right. And I think there's just like, there's all these references in the book about how well they know each other. Like they're not like finish each other's sentences, but they know exactly where they're going to be. Or like when, when Thane is gone, like Santa knows exactly where to go to find Mm -hmm. him, you know? And they're so in step with each other that, of course, by the end of it, we have no question that Thane knows what's right for a Syanna. So there's no ambiguity there, really, um, because we re- we view him as a heroic character and we know him and we know that they know each other just as well as they know him- themselves, maybe even better. And I don't know, I just, I, I think that this is, in all of the Star Wars books, It is. It, it's just such a good and complete star wars romance that um is perfect and i just hope that if i can bring it back to ray and kylo i hope that we get a similar and i think we will just based off of the history of this novel and like why it needed to be written and everything like that um understanding of there's so many lines of like i know you better than you know yourself or anything like that Mm -hmm. um that I think that could be applied to Rey and Kylo specifically Rey with Kylo because they know each other's souls. And I think for those two characters, it's on a cosmic level, a cosmic force and it's like mythic and uh, fantastical and um, spiritual in a different way than it is with uh, saying it Thane and Sienna, but um, it's it's kind of the same principle. And I love seeing those things echoed throughout Star Wars.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I really liked about, like, this whole conversation of, like, destiny and fate throughout Star Wars, and just kind of, I, while you're talking, I had a lot of thoughts running through my head about Thana and Siana and how they relate to Rey and Kylo, and also, like, with the Force and, and fate and destiny, so I'm going to try and make it coherent <laughs> but <laughs> like thane is kind of he kind of has like a han solo approach to the force at the start of it and you and you brought up like something that i find just fascinating as far as like how the empire is able to like bit change how people have thought the galaxy ran like like you said, eight years, people after Revenge of the Sith, people are like, were the Jedi even real? And as a historian... It's the erasing of all culture. Yeah, as a historian, I'm like, how the hell did you do that? Like, that's crazy. Like, that's not even a generation has passed. And then you look at someone like Ray, who has a knowledge of Luke Skywalker and, like, the Force, and, like, like, oh, I thought they were just a myth. You know, again, it's like, how is knowledge being transferred around the galaxy? Which is a question I feel like we always bring up. But... Thane kind of starts off with this like Han solo kind of belief, like all oh, the hocus pocus and hokey religion and stuff. But then by the end of it, he is the one, like I feel like he's the one that brings up, like it's usually from his perspective that we're getting these thoughts on fate and destiny as it relates to him and Cyanem. And every time they see each other, afterwards when they're sad that they're apart, it's always like well, that was the last time I was going to see him. And they're always like, oh, I never thought I'd see you again. And there is this, like, <laughs> momentum of, like, oh, I thought I'd lost you, but I found you again. I thought this was it for us, for us, but here we are again. Like, if I could just, like, hold you one more time. You know, like, it v- is very dramatic and very romantic. And one of the other quotes that I had pulled about, like, fate and destiny is right at the end, and it is from Thane's perspective. Um, and this is when he's going to go rescue Sienna. And he says, um, or he thinks rather, maybe Sienna and Luke Skywalker and other traditionalists were right about the Force. Maybe there, wa- there was some power that bound the galaxy together and took you unfailingly to your fate. The Force must have guided him to her so he could save her life and they could go on together. And again, it's kind of like what we were talking about with fate of like being very ominous and like an adverse outcome and here he's like Mm -hmm. well does it like i'm gonna die but the fate but fate the force made it so that i could die with her and he he even says at one point like we live or die together (laughs) which is such like a, a theory that you and i hold for rey and kylo too and a lot of people do that, like, they are this balance and, and Thane and Siana, What I think is great about Thane and Siana is that they never really come to any conclusions about, like, who they are as people or, like, why the other are making the choices that they are. Like, they're never okay with it, but they're still, like, mm-hmm. unfailingly in love with each other. And I think that's just like that's really cool too. About like you don't have to always understand a person completely in order to love them and to be there for them, mm-hmm. which I think is very applicable to Ray and Kylo <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was great about Thane and Siana's character development throughout the book, and you brought this up earlier, is like how Thane is so cynical at the beginning of this book, but he kind of proceeds. He doesn't. I wouldn't. He kind of loosens up as he goes. He loosens, but he's still yeah, a cynic. He classifies himself as a cynic. Yeah, he's definitely still a cynic, but he loosens up a lot. And Cyan,a is someone who, like him and other characters, describe her as an optimist, and even. Like, after he's been in the Empire for years at that point and Thane is with her, he's like, well, she still has this, like, grace and delicateness about her. But I know that, like, she's still loyal to a T and, like, her word is everything or whatever. But and I thought it was an interesting reversal because Sienna lied to the Empire to say that Thane had committed suicide after the events of the Death Star. And Nash comments that, like, oh, I can never imagine, like, Thane doing that. Like, that's just not like him. And Santa's like... Yep. But it wasn't like him. But then at the end of the book, like, Sienna is the one who has been like, uh, she pulls a (laughs) Haldo. She's like, I'll go down to the ship and then this will be over for me. She's like, I'll save the ship. I'll fulfill my duty to the Empire, but then I'll be out of the Empire. And by out of the Empire, she means she'll have died. And I Mm -hmm. think, I don't know, I think that was a really interesting aspect to kind of see her that that's how she saved Thane essentially was lying about him doing that but then that's how she wants to save herself too but by actually doing that I don't know. I thought that I thought that was really interesting too. And then Thane gets there and he's like, Nope. That's not what we're doing here. <laughs> but and then and then again her loyalty is like well like I'm gonna drag you to the escape pod even if it means I have to abandon this ship. And Thane's like, Great, let's go. And she's like, No 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 the end of that book was so stressful (laughs)
1: so stressful I remember the first time reading it and being like oh my god 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 and even reading it
0: again I was like knowing
1: exactly where it ended I was like are they gonna make it are they not gonna make it I don't know how does this even shake out (laughs) because I I couldn't really like fully remember yeah Yeah, totally that was the other thing
0: yeah I I think I had thought that they actually like it was I, I, like I said, I had forgotten Nash at the end, and I had forgotten that they had actually made it off. Like, for some reason in my head, yeah. I was like, the book ends and the ship is still falling. <laughs> like, you don't know if they made it off or not by the time you see it crash in the Force Awakens.
1: Uh, or even the fact that they that all this discussion about, like, what if we're buried under the sand? I was like, what, what if they're buried under the sand? <laughs> I
0: was like, oh no! <laughs> Do you remember when they confirmed that The ship we see in the Force Awakens was the ship from Lost Stars. I remember thinking that that was like the coolest thing I'd ever heard in my life. (laughs) It's the coolest thing ever. I really think it's one of the coolest Easter eggs out there.
1: I I don't know. Can we like pivot a little bit to talking about self-preservation because I think it's a major theme in this book, and I don't know. I don't think it's something that like is talked about that much with in regards to Lost Stars, but I think there's this act of Especially with Sienna and especially with her deed at the end of trying to restore and preserve her loyalty and her dignity that in in regard to the Empire and how her going down with the ship would make everything disappear. But in fact, the ship remains as like a skeleton on Jakku forever as a reminder of the Empire. Therefore, it is never over. Mm-hmm. And I just I think that's like it, it was just so interesting when I was reading it. I was like, man, this is just like a direct opposite of what it is <laughs> to like want to preserve your dignity because at the end of the day, the ship is being ravaged and sca- ravaged scavenged mm-hmm. by people like Ray and um is like being scrapped as parts. It's like it it does not show anything that you know cyano was fighting for for that with the empire at all but i think that it, back to the theme of self-preservation i do think that so many decisions were made to like keep up with like thane didn't never wanted to go back to jalucan just because of his like abusive family and so many of his decisions like even if he started to doubt the empire he was like well i don't want to go back there you know like i don't know what i'm going to do now i guess i hate the empire i guess i'll go to the rebellion but it wasn't like it was never i'm going to go back to Jalucan because i can't mm-hmm. it's the only way that i know how to survive and to be separate from my past is to like move forward and I think that like so many decisions are made that way. And I think that it's like a key point of Sianna's character as she must preserve this dream that she had when she was a little girl, when they met Tarkin and she had to fly and all these things. It was like the the only thing she knows is she has to stay um, this way that she has branded herself really. And I don't know. I just, I find it really interesting. And even at like, <laughs> even at the end, um, Which we haven't brought up, but like with in regards to Sayana's like kind of resistance to uh, Thane saving her. It's interesting because I was thinking the entire time about Rose and Finn and Mm -hmm. the conversation of, you know, Finn wanting to commit suicide is an act of like, saving the Rebellion, even though we know it wouldn't do that. And I think it's, like, it's really similar here with Cyanna being, like, I'm out, it'll be all over, everything will be over. Mm-hmm. And I think that it will be over for her, but it's never over for the Empire, as we know with the sequel trilogy. And I think that with Finn, it was the same situation where it was, like, okay, well, that doesn't really do anything because the can's already charged and you'd just be creating more of a mess. And here we have Rose being, like, I actually – because – I now know you so well. And I guess you could probably say that Rose loves Finn that it's a similar situation here with Thane because Thane is like, yeah, I know what's best for you. Listen Mm -hmm. to me. You know? Yeah. Like we're going to save what we love. And I also think it's, (laughs) it's interesting to compare it as well to, it's like kind of, Very fascinating to like count how many times you have this, like at the end of the death, like at the near death, (laughs) you have these experiences. At the end of the death, what the heck was that sentence? (laughs) Um, near death, you have these experiences where someone you love is trying to save you and preserve you and make sure that you don't make a like a crucial or like a terrible choice. And, um, not to say that, um, the example I'm going to use, it falls under that. But I think that uh, Luke trying to save Vader and Anakin and removing the mask and everything. And like that, just that shot in return of the Jedi of Luke dragging his father's body, Mm -hmm. you know, across the, like the death star, the second death star as it's like kind of caving in and all these things. Like the fact that um, you have someone, it's just like such a, um a, um, act of love to try to save these last moments. And
0: I was just going to yeah. say that I think that's a really great point that I hadn't thought about, but when you compare like all of these moments that you're referencing, like with Rose and Finn and with Dane and Sienna and with Anakin and Luke, and, and even with like Anakin and Padme, like trying to save someone from death, um, it really, uh, steps this line between selfish and selfless. And mm-hmm. how, like, where all of our characters fall into that. And Thane and Cyanna, I think, there's really kind of toes that line back and forth for both of them, honestly. Um, whereas mm-hmm. with, like, Rose and Finn and Anakin and Luke and, and Padme and Anakin, it's kind of a little bit more cut dry, I think. Like, who's being selfish and who's being selfless. Um, but Thane and Sayana really is kind of back and forth, I think, across that line of, I'm doing this for you, but I'm doing it for me too because I can't lose you um I think Mm -hmm. I think that was a really good point that I hadn't thought about even upon rereading it I was I was really
1: struck by the comparison between Mm -hmm. Rose and Finn which I think is such a it's such a great moment that gets so overshadowed by annoying people who are like Finn should have just died and it's like well no you didn't watch the movie there's a whole line about how it doesn't matter (laughs) and you have to you know and i I think about that a lot but um i i couldn't help but think about that and i also think that there's probably going to be something similar that happens in uh the rise of skywalker who knows yeah just keeps repeating itself (laughs) until the
0: cycle ends with our two balances of the cosmic force
1: Yes, please, please end please the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> one thing we haven't talked about yet, which I think is only a product of reading this book four years later, is the comparison between Sienna and Tam from Resistance. Uh, one of the things that was so great yep. about Lost Stars is that it is the girl who's on the bad side, and but she's not evil. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like it's very nuanced. It's like Sienna, how could you do that? Like Sienna was a part of a lot of really bad things. And she was witness to a lot of really bad things too. And she still chose to stay in the empire despite all these things that were happening to her. And, uh, we see, I think a lot of similarities with Tam. And I think we'll begin to see even more as we move into season two of resistance. I don't know. I, I, Mm -hmm. I really, I really, that was something I really liked about Lost Stars when it came out is that it was the girl who was on the the bad side as opposed to her being, Mm -hmm. you know, like this perfect girl who was also, you know, had the morally high ground, (laughs) had the moral high ground Mm -hmm. and, um, We don't see her kind of join the Empire the same way that Tam does. But I think we're going to see a lot of similar situations of Tam being like, I'm loyal to the Empire, I'm or to the First Order. I'm loyal to the First Order. Much like how Sienna was throughout the book. And I think I'm glad that we read Lost Stars at this point right before Resistance comes out to kind of have this comparison and see if there are more similarities in how they track as far as Tam hopefully coming back to her friends on the Colossus by the end of season two.
1: Mm -hmm. I think that Tam is going to be unquestionably changed from her time with the First Order. And I think that you'll, you see that with Sienna. At least like that's kind of how I envision her future. And, you know, Claudia Gray gives us that Mm -hmm. much, right? And I think that really where the extreme similarities lie is that it's both understandable why they're in their positions like tam especially you understand why she would make that choice even though it's devastating but with Siana, it's just kind of how it works like it's just kind of protocol and as she continues to dig her heels in you again can understand where she's coming from kind of as a kind of a stubborn person who is loyal to the Empire. That was
0: something that was great about Tam that she did kind of throughout the background of season one of Resistance, like, in their kind of fleeting conversations and comments from her is her referencing the Empire. Remember, there was, like, that great moment where she was like, well, my grandfather fought the Empire. And, like, that was his job. Like, that's why he was there. That's what he was doing. Like, he had to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make him a bad person. And I remember when we were talking about yeah. those episodes in Resistance, we were like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, like how she talks about the empire and like that kind of history that she has of it. And I think that that goes really well with how siana is brought up within the empire too, as far as like, oh, you were born on, well, I think it's Zane who's actually born on empire day, but you know, and like, it's this big party when Tarkin comes to their home world and, you know, it's like a thing and it's supposed to be this great event and this great moment in history. And I think Tam would relate a lot to that.
1: Mm -hmm. Speaking of, I don't think Thane is actually born on Empire Day, but he was born in the same year Mm -hmm. as the Empire began. I just think, again, to go back to this era of Star Wars storytelling is that this was the point where we were getting two parallel stories to Luke and Leia who were born on empire day. Um, We were getting Ezra who was also born on empire day and then Thane. And I guess Sienna as well, if they were both born in the same year Um, and watching how each different upbringing molded them, even though they were born the same year or even the same day as the case with Ezra.
0: I think Thane was born on empire day. I think that's what his mother says at the beginning. Um, cause Dana's like, and mm-hmm. she never lets me forget it, but I, <laughs> either way, like you write the conversation of them all being born in this year. And that for me kind of ties back to our conversation about fate as well. And it's like this auspicious day in history. And we're kind of, we kind of keep returning back to this like birth date and these people having like very, um, like you said, different upbringings, but like, especially with like Ezra and Luke and Leia, obviously, the forces with them and fate and destiny as kind of like grand destinies are kind of in their cards for their life. And they're kind of all go back to this, like I said, auspicious day. I think it's kind of the best way to describe it.
1: I mean, speaking of birthdays and destinies, the day Ben Solo was born was the day that Sayana crashed the starter story on Jakku. Ben Solo was born on the day of the Battle of Jakku, but he was born on Chandrella. Mm.
0: Well, it's confusing when they say he was born on the day of the Battle of Jakku. You're like, oh, at Jakku, and they're like, no, on Jakku. You're like, oh, on Jakku, and they're like,
1: I mean, it would be super epic. It would be like, <laughs> it would be like Star Trek, um, the like JJ Abrams reboot where Kirk is like born overhead. Oh god, that beginning oh, is so yeah. good. Yeah, remember we, that?
0: Uh, it's so good. <laughs> We die. Yes. 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 Yeah, that is a good opening, I must say. Uh Uh-huh. It's so epic. It is very epic. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I think that that is just like a fun tidbit of a lot of our characters being born on like very important days and what that means for them growing up and kind of their fate is in a way tied back to their birth date as well.
1: Well, do we have anything else to say about the themes and the story of Lost
0: Stars? I don't think so. I am really excited to be revisiting it a lot throughout Resistance Season 2, though, now that we've talked about it. Yeah, me too. Okay, so let's move on to quotes. Quotes. <laughs> Okay, welcome to part three where we are going to be doing quotes, which this is something we started in our very first book review, I think. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Charlotte was inspired by her favorite Harry Potter podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And they call it Lectio Divino, there, right?
1: Yeah, so they don't do this on every episode. It's just a sacred practice of reading a quote and then talking about how it feels. We do a very distilled version where Caitlin and I basically just popcorn off quotes and page numbers. There's a lot of book flipping and Caitlin will flip to the page that I give her. We read it out and she tells me how she feels. That's basically it. And it's great. And <laughs> we look forward to I it do. every book. Do. Do. <laughs> okay. Who wants to go first? You can go first? Okay. So the page number I'm going to give you is 249. The praise felt like stones on her back, growing heavier throughout the day. Santa burned with shame to have to have been commended by a superior officer for violating her oath of loyalty. Never again. She promised herself from that day on her service to the empire would be more than her duty. It would be her atonement for loving even one person in the galaxy more than oh, her honor.
0: God, It's just, it's so dramatic. <laughs> That's the thing about this book that we talked about is that these aren't heroes. They don't do heroic things, but it's just so dramatic the way that they're written and the situation that they're in. And this, I mean, like so much in this book goes straight back to our discussion about loyalty. Um, I love the last part of that where she views, because this is after she's told the Empire, or yeah, that she's told the Empire that Thane committed suicide so that they won't go looking for him anymore, basically. And that she views her love for him as something to atone, to be atoned for. It's just such an interesting point of view, and you just like you just feel so sad for her that that's what she feels mm-hmm. like she has to do um and that it is a sense of shame for her saving someone she loves is shameful in her perspective because it meant she had to be disloyal to the empire. Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> so good i also think that we can look through it with the lens of ray and kylo i don't know i think it's just kind of interesting from that day on her service to the empire would be more more than would be more than her duty it would be her atonement for loving even one person in the galaxy more than her honor i kind of think that maybe you can compare that it's like kind of a loose comparison to like how i expect to see kylo in the rise of skywalker of him being like uh, that was a mistake for like letting my my personal feelings kind of get mm-hmm. in the way, and it clearly did not go the way that I wanted. So all I have to do now is kind of dig my heels deeper, even into the first order, become become the supreme leader, and everything that I do now will be an atonement for everything that I did in the past with Ray for any sort of weakness of loving her.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think Ray would probably be in the same position, honestly, especially considering. Yeah, depending on what Kylo is doing as Supreme Leader when we check in with them in The Rise of Skywalker, and if he is being this really horrible, like, evil leader, then Rey has to live with the shame of knowing that she let him live because she let her personal Mm -hmm. feelings get in the way, too, and her belief that, like, he could be Ben Solo again, you know? So I think you're right.
1: So, like, the only... The only way to, like, atone for those mistakes, I suppose, would be to, like, go to your opposite sides and uh, dig even Mm -hmm. deeper.
0: Yeah, exactly. Good first quote. Okay, your quote is on page (laughs) 290. Okay, I'm there. Thane had never been one of the idealists. He'd accepted Wedge and Telly's invitation not because he believed the rebellion was pure good, but because he'd learned the empire was pure evil. Even for him, though, the adjustment felt strange.
1: It's just interesting. I think it's it's just a like a interesting window into viewing the rebellion. This was also the first time that I think I saw a character like this. That I guess like in Rebels, you kind of saw the rebels there, kind of existing on the side, maybe not going straight for the re- like the actual core of the rebellion. I don't know. I don't really have like a major reaction to that quote. I'm going to be honest.
0: Well, thank you. I'm what about you? I picked a good first quote. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, I I just think that sometimes it happens. Like, that's the the first thing I thought of was rebels. Yeah,
0: I think that's a good point. Um, What I really liked about this quote was I liked the word choice of Thane didn't believe in the rebellion, but he learned about the Empire. I thought that, Mm -hmm. like, that juxtaposition of believed and learned was really important for Thane's character specifically because he never does become like this great rebel leader. It's just because, mm-hmm. and he still holds this resentment towards the war altogether and towards both sides of it, I think. But it's just like, he resents the empire more. And I don't know. I thought it was just like a good summation of where he is. And he talks to Siana about it later too. And, and she's like, I can't believe you'd be in the rebellion. And, and she's like, do you even like those people? And he's like, well, yeah, I think I do. Like, he doesn't even really get it himself. He's like, they didn't have any problem with me leaving. Like, they knew I would come back. Mm -hmm. And even if I didn't, that was okay, too. As long as I didn't, you know, like, reveal any trade secrets or anything like that. Right. But it took, like... Like, I don't know if... I don't know if at the end of the book, Thane does believe in the Rebellion yet. Or, like, by the end of the original trilogy. I just think he's still knows how evil the empire is and he's like that's when I need to focus on being a part of taking that down even if I have to be with this organization that also did really bad things
1: yeah I think that Thane is a really interesting cr- contrast to a Luke Skywalker who's like so gung-ho rebellion and you have Thane who I, I think your point about the word believed versus learned um is really fascinating and i don't think that he comes to believing fully that the rebellion is pure good also we've learned some things as a as a viewer of basically all star wars that i don't think the rebellion is pure good i think that the war machine is evil and the rebellion is part of that Mm -hmm. but the rebellion must exist and should exist and at the end of the day are the good guys you know and i think that that's what Thane kind of comes to understand too you know is that I want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So your next quote is on page 119. But occasionally, at the least convenient moments, the enduring connection between them would make itself known. Ashes would become embers.
0: <laughs> it's so Raylo. <laughs> it's so Raylo. It's <laughs> <So Raylo. laughs> It's a 4 bond. It, it is force before bond. four spawns were really even a thing oh, claudia gray a prophet it's truly <laughs> i really like the last part of it where it says ashes would become embers because it is this like rekindling and mm-hmm. it's this idea that you because ashes are dead basically but you know like the phoenix rising from the ashes kind of metaphor but this is much slower like this is quieter um, ashes becoming embers it's a very minimal transition but it's still significant and yeah i don't know i think it's it's a good it's a good image um too and i think it it's just so freaking raylo <laughs> <laughs> it just cannot be denied how raylo it is <laughs> the this is a moment
1: also just to like provide some context this is when they're still in the academy and cya and Thane have kind of stopped talking but like whenever their eyes would meet their connection would would form mm-hmm. and ashes would become embers to me I always I also think about it like the way you described it as almost like butterflies in your stomach mm. you know and I think that like if you close your eyes and you think about like potentially ashes turning to embers I also wow I'm just making this this connection right now in the force awakens you see Kylo putting down his mm-hmm. helmet in a pile of ashes of his enemies. Mm-hmm. And then in the the Last Jedi, you see embers flying in their, like basically their final confrontation.
0: So then, are they going to end up on Mustafar for full on fire and lava? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Progression. Well, that's what I (laughs) was. Character development. Fire. (laughs) That's what, as you were talking, made me think. It's like butterflies are really like cute. like oh mm-hmm. like puppy dog love but like this metaphor of ashes to embers to fire is very passionate but is also very totally. dangerous too mm-hmm. which is obviously kind of the crux of their relationship
1: yeah their forbidden love mm-hmm. wow it's good
0: so good okay my next quote for you is on page 505 Okay, this is the second paragraph. Whatever else Niana Rhee was, she was not a traitor. During the few short weeks she had served as captain of the Inflictor, she had done her duty to the very best of her ability. If she felt no loyalty to the Empire any longer, she understood her responsibility for the hundreds of thousands of lives under her command. So she had not given anything less than her best during the Battle of Jakku.
1: I love this quote too, and even in my margins I wrote, duty versus honor. Which I think is kind of, um, I don't know, Sayana in her brain, I guess, and what this is is trying to rationalize like what she has to do versus what she would have done in the past, um, and like everything that she has become as basically a servant to the empire. Um, I don't know. This is like a crucial moment <laughs> in um, in the book, really.
0: Yeah. And I, I kind of brought it up earlier too. I think we both did because I always forget uh-huh. what quotes I end up putting in part Same. three. Of quotes. <laughs> but it's just like, even though her loyalty has shifted, she still, like you said, has this sense of duty to the people that are under her command. And that means she's still going to work for the empire. And how many other people are in similar situations like that throughout the empire? And are they still bad people?
1: Yeah, I did think it was kind of her to be like, everyone go to, get on your escape pods. Just go, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just another one. One of those moments that you feel empathy for Sayana, even as someone who is a servant to the Empire, which you we normally don't feel empathy towards. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of feeds into her honor as a person um, and vers- like, but also her Duty as a commander, which she, of course, takes seriously.
0: Yeah. It's strange because I would still describe Siana as an honorable person and a good person, even like a person with good intentions, yeah. even knowing everything that we know about her.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Hmm. Okay. So your last quote is on page 545. Slowly, she raised her hand, flattening her palm against the edge of the energy field. Zane did the same. They mirrored each other, almost touching, but forever apart.
0: That's oh, very Raylo. <laughs> oh my god! It's
1: almost <laughs> like I'm picking the the quotes off of a theme.
0: The fact that they mirrored each other, <laughs> but are forever apart. Okay, but I don't want that to be <laughs> how Ray and yeah, Kylo. Yeah, I don't end. either.
1: Hopefully, no. But I th- I think it's will Ray and Kylo touch? They don't just mirror mirror That's the true. each other. Well, Thane and
0: Sienna already did sleep together, so true. <laughs> a true. couple of times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I guess if there is to be a sequel of Lost Stars, which hopefully there is, this is kind of like the darker middle chapter of Thane and Cyanna. and so mm-hmm. we've already had that with Ray and Kylo, so like we're good, <laughs> we're mm-hmm. safe, <laughs> hopefully. But I think. This, like, this kind of imagery, I think, just is really perfect for that enemies to lovers trope. And it is what they, like, you know, like, they mirror each other forever apart. And that's, like, how Ray and Kylo are kind of discussed. You know, like, they're two halves of the protagonist. There's a very thin line that separates them, which, you know, flattening her hand against the edge of an energy field. That's a very thin line that separates her and and Thane in that moment. Oh, very similar yeah.
1: <laughs> that's exactly what i was going to say that whole quote from adam being like they're separated by something very thin <laughs> and it's a, a physical thing that is separating them but i don't think that they've ever been closer than in this moment mm-hmm. even though they have slept together they have been with each other their entire lives i think this is the moment that they've even though i think that cyana is in a really bad place And we talked about that, obviously, about like maybe she'll come to terms with what they did to save her. But I really do think that they have never been more on the same page, I suppose, um, in understanding each other.
0: I think it's really interesting choice Claudia made knowing that there wasn't a sequel plan for this book because she does leave Sienna in like quite a dark place at the end Mm -hmm. of the book. Um, Even though she is with Dane and she is alive, and we do have this moment between them, there's still like there's still a lot for her that Sianna would need to process, and like, is she gonna go back to the empire? You know, like what happens to her next, really, and like her emotional and mental state at the end of the book is is she's in a dark place, basically. So it it was an interesting choice to kind of end the book with her there.
1: Mm -hmm. I think the ambiguity there. I actually really respect because as much as I like stories with like neat bows and I don't know, Maybe happy endings. Put it on a shelf. Yeah, you can put it on the shelf and kind of look at it. You know, <laughs> I like that. I just think that I feel satisfied with the ending, even though it didn't really wrap fully up. You know, like I definitely want a sequel, but I I feel like the act of saving Cyanna from destroying herself was so important. And that was the, I'm happy that it ended there, you know, because I I am confident that she will figure it out because that was her lowest low. At least I believe it was her lowest low.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because I feel the same way. Like I was, I've never been unsatisfied with how Lost Stars ended. Of course, like I was unsatisfied in the sense that I want another part of their story, but Mm -hmm. like, This isn't the book where it's like the ending ruins me revisiting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which there are some books like that. It's Like you get to the end and you're like, what? (laughs) What was all this for? And even though things aren't 100% resolved, like you said, I still feel confident that like because she survived and because she is with Thane, things will be okay.
1: And I think like in a meta sense, is anything ever really resolved in Star Wars? Like, has there ever been a Star Wars story that has ended that's like, that is the final piece? And I don't even think we're going to see that with The Rise of Skywalker. I just don't. Like, yeah. I think that there's going to be some, there's always some level of
0: ambiguity and To me, I think that's kind of
1: good storytelling, you
0: know? Oh, yeah. Because that's the whole point of Star Wars is that it continues to go on, that the the sandbox that every director talks about getting to play in of Star <laughs> oh, Wars God. just, like, keeps growing. There's not, Mm -hmm. like, a border to it, really. Yeah. Okay, so your last quote is on page 407. Okay, this is in the middle of the page. In the silence that followed, he backed away from Yendor, whose hands were raised in a gesture that meant on every planet, Hey, man, simmer down. Thane figured the only productive thing he could do right then was report to 21B for the scans. But as he turned to go, Kendi spoke almost under her breath. You're going to tear yourself apart. She wasn't wrong. Thane said only, she's still Sienna, and walked off. Kendi would understand that, probably. Nobody else would. He didn't care. It was his own business if he crossed the galaxy or broke his heart or steered his X-wing straight into the core of a star.
1: I think that this speaks to forbidden love so well. Mm -hmm. And also personal choice, if we can talk about that theme. The last line, it was his own business if he crossed the galaxy or broke his heart or stealed his X main straight into the core of a star. Because it's true, like it's your own choice. You do whatever you want with your your heart, your body, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but I do think the line, like you're gonna tear yourself apart, and he's kind of at a boiling point right in this moment, um kind of speaks to kind of the chaos that is love and <laughs> kind of understanding that the person that you love is on the opposite side of where you stand
0: yeah yeah it just felt really really like a very intense moment and they Thane is kind of at the end of his wits and no one like he's having this conversation with with the people of Corona Squadron and none of them understand why he's doing what he did um, mm-hmm. which again very low <laughs> and <laughs> because this is, I think this is after he goes to stand vigil with Sienna's family and he tells the others they're like he's like yeah Sienna she's a imperial commander and they're like what (laughs) (laughs) and he tries to explain it to them and even Kendi who knew Sienna was like this isn't going to work like you're going to tear yourself apart it's not you can't this isn't your path and and Thane like you said it's about a personal choice of like it is though like she is the only path that matters Mm -hmm. um It's just it's very romantic, it's very dramatic, and it's very it like very much goes back to Ray and Kylo, I think, and how how those kinds of conversations are going to happen, hopefully within the Rise of Skywalker too, and how they respond to those conversations will be very telling. Like if if we see Ray respond in kind of a Thane pattern of like it's fine, like I can do what I want, like I felt good in him, that's all that matters. I don't know. I think it was very interesting as opposed to her me being too. like, yeah, you're right. I should have killed him.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Like that conversation between Ray and Finn that you always want.
0: So bad. Want it so bad.
1: So bad. And I just think that it's. I hope that if you listen to this and aren't a super big fan of us talking about Ray and Kylo, um, that we were able to talk about the story and these characters, but also the parallel aspects in a way that. I don't know didn't feel like we were like this book is so relo even though i feel like i could be like this book is so relo for like three hours mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the quotes i have underlined i don't know about you caitlin yep. but like <laughs> everything i bookmarked is like super super relo and there there are more quotes like the ones that i gave you and it's just really about like the force brought us together and all these things or i was just like wow i i just cannot stress more that claudia gray was given specific instructions to write, write a book about opposite sides of the war and a romance raging. And for that reason, I don't think Lost Stars has ever been more important. But also, it just
0: emphasizes to me... I don't know. I just love this book. It's a good book. <laughs> it's a darn... It's just so good. It's a darn good book. And even if you're not a real shipper and you haven't read Lost Stars, I guarantee you you'll like this romance. It's It's good... The action is good. The moral questions are amazing. The parallels it does have to other corners of Star Wars are just really well done. They're never intrusive on the story, um, as I feel sometimes Easter eggs can be. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just all around a great adventure. (laughs) So good. Yes. Well, is there anything else that we have forgotten about Lost Stars?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah, it's come up in many conversations to begin with.
0: Yeah, and I think it will. It will actually come up a lot more now that we've recently reread it. So,
1: yeah, and it's fresh in our minds. Yeah.
0: Um, I am waiting for that sequel. I do want that Nash and Leia talk. That's actually my number one wish at this point in Star Wars canon, aside from the Rise of Skywalker. Um, so if anyone wants to make that happen or point me in the direction of some good fan fiction, please. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte at Clarity And then we also have the podcast Twitter, which is at Pod. You can also send us an email if you're interested in long-form messages. We are at Skytalkers. Our email is SkytalkersPodcast at gmail.com. We do respond to all of our emails. Just sometimes we're a little slow about it. But we will get back to you, I promise. (laughs) And if you are interested in supporting the show, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We had, I think, two reviews this past week. And one of them wished me a happy belated birthday. So thank you so much. Um, It really, really makes us happy. And it helps other people find our show. So if you have a second to spare, we would really love it if you could go and leave us a review. Um, You can follow us on all of our platforms as well but if you're interested in going a step further there is our patreon which is sky talkers podcast if you want to support us there as well yes absolutely
1: and i want to thank our amazing patrons Jason, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Regina, Shelbo, Joey, James, Kathy, Gee, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Bradley, Lakshana, Candice, Kristen, Ewan, The Talk, Rock, Shock, Jock, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Jalea, Matthew, Captain Britain, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Santara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpururu, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Alia, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Claire, Brad, Unspeakable, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabers Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support really does mean the world.
0: Yes, thank you all so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.